do what no one else can do but you. Mm. And I did that. I was like, what can I do? And what has always brought me solace is writing and drawing or just drawing colors, playing with colors. When I play with colors, that is my world. and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to queer weddings and divorces. I'm here with my evergreen dressed co-host, Sarah. I love your outfit today. How are you? I'm good. I'm actually dressed up to go to a show. Not just any show, right? No, it's my fuck yeah today. Ooh, do you have any fuck yeahs going on? Yeah. (laughs) I am going to see Ruby perform tonight. Ruby is signed up in Girls Rock and Roll Camp. Rock! And she is playing the drums. Oh, I love it. And the whole structure of the camp is that they form a band, write a song, and perform it all in a week. And I have got to tell you... This experience has been so rad and watching her Mm. just loving every minute of it is fantastic. All of the counselors are women or non-binary musicians. It is the most supportive environment. I mean, Ruby has dabbled with drums, Mm -hmm. but not had any formal lessons. And so the fact that the structure is that they can write a song and perform it in a week is sort of mind-blowing. Yeah. They have a class on feminism. What? So Ruby's been reporting. I mean, just everything about it is like a utopia of things. And I'm such a proud mama and I can't wait to see this show tonight. And just like even just drop off and pickups has been so magical and supportive and wonderful. And I can't speak more highly of this camp. Hooray. I'm so happy. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're going to take videos, but I got to see that girl drumming. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, that's great. I'm so excited. Oh, and today... We have JP on. Yeah. I met JP as craft captain. I don't know about you. When did you meet JP? I met JP at the pleasure chest and it was holiday time and JP was there to decorate. Doing installation stuff? Yes. And so we were decorating these like mannequins, I think, hanging from the ceiling. Like I was so into it and we connected right away and I've just loved JP ever since. JP is a multidisciplinary artist, an illustrator. JP does puppet work. They're a fabricator of puppets, but also installations and pop-ups and they have a weekly night at Akbar called Craft Night that they have been hosting for a long ass time and just like an overall like all around renaissance artist like it's in their DNA. JP's the most artistic person that I've met in that they are in a constant form of creating 
JP is a master at their craft, which is a variety of fucking things. Like they can make anything. Yeah, they can fabricate virtually anything. Their daily drawings, I think that they now saw them on their website. They have a annual online art festival called Gothtober, where they recruit people each day of October. A new art piece launches. I did it for a couple years. They also have a nonprofit called Sparkle Blob. So, I mean, It's just like JP is doing everything. The thing that we're going to talk to JP about today is their sort of volunteer work, I guess is how you would think of it. Their community offering, which is that they are an officiant of weddings. Yeah. They officiated my wedding. Yeah. They officiated my mother's memorial which is very meaningful to me. And the wedding was also very meaningful. And a lot of our friends' weddings and beyond, like they've been doing it for so long and they have this sash that they wear full of patches for each event that they've Mm. done. And it is full. I'm really interested in their insights around having been present and basically hosting so many queer like holding space for so many weddings. Something that I've been really eager to talk about on the podcast, really since we start, like as we were conceiving of the podcast, I was like, I feel like divorce is something I really want to talk about because it was just such a significant experience for me and one that I feel like I still am going through. And one that nobody talks about. Yeah, it's something that people really do in isolation. Mm -hmm. And I ran into JP a couple years ago when JP was going through their divorce. And it was just interesting because I could so connect with what she was experiencing at that time of just the isolation there's just this like way in which it feels like kind of the rug gets pulled out from under you. So I'm curious to get JP's perspective kind of on both ends of the union, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Why do we have weddings? Right. And then what does it mean when those relationships don't last forever? Well, let's get into it. This is going to be a lot of Fun and heavy stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah. Both sides of the coin. Yeah, the light and the dark. That's kind of our jam. JP, we're so excited to have you here. Thank you for coming on Fuck Yeah. Thank you. Fuck yeah. I'm very excited to be here. Hooray. We like to start people off with a few rapid fire questions. Ah, Okay. I would love to know what is your favorite thing to wear right now, clothing or otherwise? I'm wearing this period underwear that I really like. I'm wearing it right now. (laughs) I'm in perimenopause. Uh And then I also have multiple sclerosis. And so... Sometimes my bladder has ideas of its own. Yeah. Not big ideas, just little, little squeak out ideas. So I don't know when my period may or may not be here. Right. And I don't know when I might pee a little. So (laughs) I'm wearing this awesome period underwear. I love period underwear between the menstrual cup and the period underwear. I just, I haven't bought any products in so long. Yeah. Also, my job is gross. I run around, I sweat like crazy. I'm just bartending or like running stuff or like doing things and it's summer and it's just great to have something that wicks everything. (laughs) Who was your first celebrity crush? Julie Andrews is what comes to mind. Wow. Which Julie Andrews? Oh, Fräulein Maria. The hills are 
not alive. Her voice, her voice, her thoughts are just escaping out of her head all the time. You know, she's not on time. She's running around. Marie is not an asset to the Abbey. You know, like I always felt like that in Catholic school. And I'm like, oh, finally, somebody else that is not on time, you know, who's like running by the seat of their pants and is given, I don't know what, seven children to do something with. But she's going to figure it out. Right. I'm like, look at that. She's resourceful. She just sat on a pine cone. How adorable. And then just the voice, man, that voice. And she whips that captain into shape. That's right. I mean, we all know who's really wearing the pants in that movie. I mean, Julie Andrews does that in every movie. It's true. Spitzbot. Yeah, Mary Poppins, but then also Victor Victoria. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to see that again. Yes. I mean, that's like some OG gender fuckery. It is. It's so great. Maybe I could just play that at Craft Night on Silent and have people be like, what is going on? (laughs) That's what happens when we played Myra Breckenridge. (laughs) Oh, my God. People were like, what is happening? I'm like, it's Raquel welch you need to shut up yeah know your history so julie andrews is when i remember feeling like oh well i want her to be in my life in a way that's odd what is that feeling i'm four right i'll come back to that later i did do that a lot as a kid i'd be like i'm four or like i'm seven i can't really yeah because i'd be like it's too much to parse right now i really understand that this is not a time i need to be dealing with this what i need to do is go out and play that's really interesting Mm. i remember looking at my mom and going one day I'm going to be able to argue well enough to be right about this. <laughs> I don't have the skills right now, but one day. Hey, so what was your first mode of masturbation? Oh, that's really personal. You don't have to tell. I think I feel really weird about that one. Don't worry. Yeah, I pass. Thank you for passing. What was it that Lucy Fielding taught us? Thank you for your no. <laughs> Oh, yeah. An enthusiastic no is the hottest no there is. It absolutely is the best. Yeah. Okay. I want to lay the scene. I think it's 2006. I walk into craft night at Akbar, and there you are, JP Craft Captain. And I think this is how many people know you. It is. And whenever they say craft master, I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, captain. No, no, it is. Yeah, you're not a craft master. No, it's, I'm a captain. Craft captain. Well, this kiddo asked me, like, are you a real captain? <laughs> when I was in the park doing crafts, and I'm like, yeah. And you know what? You are too. If you say you're a captain, you're a captain. You can be a captain, captain of your own heart, captain of your toys, captain of whatever, you know? Craft night is just such a warm, welcoming space and after moving back to Los Angeles feeling really no connection to you know who I had known when I went to high school in Los Angeles coming into Akbar and finding my people oh it was just magical you want to hear something crazy yeah craft night is now old enough to drink Whoa. <laughs> craft night is 21 years old well i was gonna say you know like it, it's still going on mm-hmm. it's an institution it's waiting for you whoever you are listeners so you've been doing it for the whole 21 years yeah and was it your idea yeah well it just grew out of an old defunct bowling alley mr t's bowl back in the day my friends ran the little restaurant there and i worked nearby and was like all right i can't eat a burger from katie or Lisi every day i will die But I'm allowed to have one once a week on Thursdays and I will go and sit and I'll write my postcards or I'll draw or paint my postcards that I want to do. And after a while, somebody was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, drawing a postcard. They're like, can I can I do it, too? I'm like, sure. Then another person was like, what's happening? And we all started doing it. And then I started bringing projects. 
And then Mr. T got involved, got us a Christmas tree so we could make ornaments for it. Because he recognized that we were all having a good time. And that's when it was born. And it used to be cost $1 back then. And we had karaoke going on. There was a bar. There was a restaurant. And then we were just like doing crafts. And it was all ages. It was everybody. Wow. So, but then Mr. T passed away. The space didn't work anymore. I was floating around. And then my best friend who was working at Akbar was like, well, why don't you just use the back room, the new back room? There's nothing going on back there, except it would have to be Wednesdays and not Thursdays. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And so I've held Wednesday there ever since. What year was that, do you think? Well, it had to have been before 2006. Yeah. So sometime between 2001 and mm-hmm. 2006, it moved to Akbar and it has been just an institution and such a beautiful community space ever since. And I think it was a couple years after you and I met that you got ordained 2008 2008 you did your first wedding and if you haven't experienced a JP wedding I mean (laughs) really because it is special I feel like you found a calling how do you approach weddings how do you officiate a wedding well first of all you got one job and it's to bring two people together more than they are already together so you have a very kind audience in that the goal is something that everybody wants. And the job is also to be a conduit to receive and feel the love that you can, like at least for me, inside of my body, enters in through my head and then out through the rest of me. It's a job of bringing people together, which is something that I definitely know I can do. Mm -hmm. All of the things that I do that are public involve bringing people together. Inclusivity, making everybody feel at home, understanding that yes, this may be the only planet that we ever experience. We got some time here. The kindest audience is the audience that wants to see people get married. Mm -hmm. Mm. And to also make that day feel special. It's a special day. Otherwise, why is everybody standing around in their outfits? Mm -hmm. So there is actually preparation. There's meditation. There's visualizing what I want for the people that will be standing before me, what they want. I ask them each like, hey, what is this? What is this to you? Why are you doing this? Why didn't you do it before? How come it's happening now? Why now? Things like that. Didn't I ask you a bunch of questions? Yeah. JP officiated my wedding (laughs) and also my mom's memorial. And both times I felt very well taken care of. And you had us think about things that wouldn't have occurred to us otherwise. The way you just described it and you're gesticulating like this is a full body experience. Mm. It is. I really appreciated that. And in particular with my mom's memorial, Like you were talking about the stardust and the universe in this way that really sang to me at that time. It was really special. And then, of course, the wedding was really special as well. You've done so many unusual queer weddings. I mean, even if they're not queer, they're funky people. Am I right? Like you don't know any normies, (laughs) right? Funky is the word. That's why people want you also for their their wedding or memorial or whatever it is, is that you bring this authenticity to the max and it really makes everything so special and memorable. I mean, I have had some couples that are like, well, we've already been together for like, you know, 10 years, whatever. It's no big deal. We're just tying the knot. You know, well, that's like, what okay. we told you. I mean, I'm, those exact people on the day of, they're like, <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> they just turned into, they're giddy. You know, they got their special shoes on that are squeaky and uncomfortable, you know, and they're like, I'm going to get married. And it does become special. Yeah. Something I noticed from doing 
we ran a fake business in Arizona. This was an art piece that I did. It was an installation called DocuMart with Alex Kenefick and other people. We ran a fake business, but part of it was also like marrying a boot to a shoe, marrying a person <laughs> to their rental car. And weirdly, no matter what it was, people got nervous. Yeah. They still get nervous. I love that. It still means something. It means something to come together. Even if you're coming together with your rental car, you're making a choice, a choice <laughs> in a world full of endless choices. Yeah. You're taking a move of some sort, an actual decision. A decision has been made. What do you think makes for a good or memorable wedding? Definitely something that speaks to the two people that are getting hitched because everybody knows these people. They've showed up from far away, from close by, and you want it to feel like you're not just marrying people. You are officiating these people. There's hand fasting, you know, which is a very, very old ritual. When you hand fasted that couple with a phone cord and made them recite their phone numbers to each other. <laughs> because, I mean, that's unique. There was a couple I knew who met and argued over music when they first met. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of like, can't stand them, but they're kind of cute, right? This is a Jewish couple. And instead of smashing glasses, they each made mixtapes for each other, listened to them once and then smashed those. <laughs> Basically the uniqueness of the people that we see before us that we want to know about their lives. This is how these people will complement each other. These are what the challenges will be for these people. Yeah, I think the only weddings that I haven't enjoyed, it's not intimate. It doesn't feel like you learn something about the people. It doesn't feel like you're part of this really special thing that they share. Like the wedding should be this little glimpse, this window into their life and their intimacy. And that's what they're doing because you could just elope. You don't have to share it with everybody that you love. You are actually taking your inner world, your closest, most intimate person and sharing them with everybody on a stage, which is like nerve wracking for some people. Yeah. And yeah, that is, is very intimate. Most people say, I really hate weddings. I and mean, even people that are going to have me as their officiant are like, I hate weddings. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> let's get deep on that. I was wondering about your sash. You have all of those patches. Oh yeah, my stole. How many do you have now? Oh my God, so many. I'm, I thought about bringing it and then was like, it's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so you do a patch for every event that you officiate. It used to be that each person would submit a patch and now I'm like, both of you need to come up with one thing together. <laughs> Because I'm I'm about to flip it over. Wow. I'm losing real estate on it, but that's okay. Because then like I'm sewing patches. They're like they're overlapping. And the love that goes into that ceremony is also part of the love that gets passed on to future ceremonies and reminders mm -hmm. that you are not alone. Other people have been nervous standing in your shoes, wondering if your vows are too long or too short. <laughs> if you forgot something about running the goat farm together or whatever. <laughs> it started out my friend Carrie Bennett made me a sash for the first wedding I did in 2008 in Zihuatanejo, Mexico. And back then it only had like two flowers at the bottom of each one. And now it's totally full. Wow. But I also have done embroidery on it. Your mother's name is on it. My brother's name is on it. My father's name is on it. And some other people who have gone into the great beyond. So it's a very 
powerful garment. It reminds me of the sash that like rabbis wear. What is it called? Well, it's definitely a stole. A stole. Priests tend to wear stoles. Oh, okay. I'm ordained, but like also I'm self-ordained in my own way where I wear this thing. And it signifies that I am about to, and a reminder to myself and to other people like, hey, we're about to do some Marian stuff. Yeah. And I think that it's like you have a spirituality in the context of everything you've talked about so far. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the spirituality of togetherness and authenticity and community and love. You take it very seriously, but you're very lighthearted at the same time. And you kind of do everything like craft night's a kind of expression of that. Craft night is church. The Mm -hmm. seriousness that it takes to do something. It's not like you're getting, you know, paid. This is a volunteer thing that you do. Am I correct? (laughs) It's a self-imposed community service. Yes. That has never ended. Ended. It's that thing. If it is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It just keeps working. Yeah. We had a wonderful woman from the Philippines who came here who has never been in an American gay bar before, and we were doing karaoke. So what do we do? We put her in a chair and we rubbed all of our butts on her. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> and she lost her mind. She had such a good time. Just like so thrilled. She had a beer in her hand. Butts in her face. I'm being gay and I got butts in my face. I'm like that's living. That is being fully alive right now. So what about divorce? Oh, divorce. Yeah, yeah. What is your process? Because you have a very special window into couples as their wedding officiant. And so what happens when you learn that a couple is splitting up? Well, in one case, like I said, I used to have people put a patch each. So and I knew one of them was just having real troubles. So I sewed an embroidered pattern around that person's patch just to send like love energy, like I wish you well, because there wasn't any way for these two people to be together any longer. It was it was rough. It was a bit of a tragedy because it was just like addiction was involved and it was just really hard for everybody. So usually what I do is I just wish people well. I bring people together and it's someone else's job (laughs) to bring them apart. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, you know, like sometimes people just grow in different directions. Mm -hmm. People are ultimately pretty much the same, but sometimes they want to do different things. And when one goes into a commitment with another person, there is always the possibility that they may end up wanting to do something else. I mean, it is the thing about adult relationships they are conditional Mm -hmm. they are not unconditional and I think we've actually been fed a lot of messaging that love should be unconditional for it to be real a relationship has to last forever for it to be a good quote unquote good like it's just such a lie yeah and there isn't a lot of programming or messaging that we get around relationships take lots of different forms. They have lots of different lifespans. Your intimate relationship with a partner who you're sexual with may not end up being the primary, most meaningful relationship you have in your life. All these things, right? There's so many different ways to be in relationship. And it's hard because I think a lot of people go into marriage with some serious programming around what it should be and then when it's not that it's really fucking hard oh yeah yeah and that makes splitting up all the harder when it's just like there's no real good path for it besides kind of chaos 
culturally, I mean, it's like we can take steps to be civilized, to try to stay together or break up. When you put more of your eggs in one relationship basket, just what you have to lose, the stakes are pretty high. Yeah. So you have a really interesting vantage point, JP. You and I ran into each other a couple of years ago, and I feel like we had this moment around <laughs> just like how earth shattering divorce can be. I think you said to me, oh my gosh, had I known how hard divorce is. I wish I could go back and give all of my divorce friends like an extra hug. Oh my God, <laughs> now absolutely. I am going through it and it is really, really rough. And I was like, uh-huh, it is. It's so hard. So I'm just curious if you have any insight into like what is just so uniquely challenging. It's isolating. When divorce happens, it's just like, shame. Yeah. It just feels like, because you're like, oh my God, everybody I loved was around me. And I said these words and guess what? Those words were true at that time. And you can also still love somebody and not be able to be with them. Mm -hmm. Someone came into craft night recently and I had officiated their wedding in 2014. And they walked into the room and they really looked like they had the tail between their legs. And I'm like, oh, haven't seen you in a while. They were like, JP, I'm divorced. <laughs> and like, what's great is at this point, I'd finally reached some peace. You know, like when I saw you, it was like, so how long have you been scream crying in the car? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like, are your insides scooped out like mine? Yeah. Like, I didn't feel that way anymore. And I was like, oh, hey, I can do whatever I want. Walk around naked, paint while being naked, just wear shoes and feel more naked than <laughs> if I just wasn't wearing shoes and was I naked. I think nudity is a big part of this post-divorce life. Well, so, so anyway, they said like, I'm divorced, you know, like, uh, and I was like, oh, hey, that's okay. And they were like, it is? I thought because you officiated my wedding, you'd be like upset with me. And I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. Like, no. Like, I would be more upset if you were still in a thing and felt like you had to be in it because of everybody else's expectations of you and that you weren't actually like living the way that you want to live. Like, that's the real tragedy, you know, is that you would be like stifled into a tiny itty bitty box and like wishing that you had a better life. Whereas now you're free. And you get to kind of like start over, which is hard and isolating. But I was like, hey, I'm divorced, you know, and they were like, I, what? And I was like, everybody who in this room is divorced <laughs> more than half the room. Yeah. Everybody raised their arms. And I'm like, you are not alone. And they were like, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm like you want to drink? They're like, yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing is we've a lot of us have really been through it. And also we're people whose parents, I guess we've we've lived through more divorces. It really used to be like. You know, no matter what, you must stay married or shame will be upon your family, upon your head and upon your children, you know, and it's just not like that anymore. And I, we get to form, you know, one person relationships, multi-person relationships. You get to build it and it isn't really anybody else's business. And shame shouldn't really be, I mean, shame. Who's got time for shame? There is just no time for shame. Shame yeah, is good yeah. if you've murdered somebody and like buried them under the sidewalk <laughs> and you're like, what? Everything's fine. Okay, guilt and shame is for that. Right. It's not for getting divorced. You need to stay true to yourself, obviously. Otherwise, what are you going to do? And you know, it's that RuPaul thing. You got to circle the wagon. You got to take care of yourself and have things in your life that bring you fulfillment for just you. I'm wondering about your transformation through divorce. 
it was so dark for you for a while in that divorce and then you kind of blossomed and then where are you at now? Like, I'm just interested in that whole process, emotional, spiritual process that you went through. Oh, it was like a multi-layer shit fuck stack. It was a buildup of like, I lost my dad. Right. I lost my aunt. I lost my grandmother. I lost my brother yeah. to COVID. My cat died. Ugh. And then the dog died. Fuck. And then my partner left. <laughs> And it was me alone in the house, in this big drafty house. And I, oh my God, just to add insult to injury, these palmetto bugs, <laughs> aka roaches, like kept coming into the house. And I was like, oh my God, and I just can't because there was no animals to like eat them or chase them away. Right. It was just like me. So I see this palmetto bug run in and I just like grab a jar and like put it on top. And, and so now we have like four jars, each one with a palmetto, <laughs> palmetto bug underneath it. And I'm like, I talked to Alex, my friend. I was like, I feel really guilty that I've trapped these bugs under these jars. And he's like, JP, I think it's okay. I think that most of the time the palmetto bug is just thinking, huh? And I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Like, <laughs> that was then, the whole thought? <laughs> yeah, the, the bug is like, I can't get out. Like, huh? huh. Right? And I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, but then the ants came and when the ants came, they got underneath the jar and started eating the palmetto bugs. And, um, that was dark. Cause I'm just like, I'm alone surrounded by jars with palmetto bugs being eaten by ants. <laughs> like it was super gray gardens. You know, my other friend Kate was like, I'm coming over with my bug squashing boots. Yeah. And you can go in the other room so you don't have to hear the crunch. Cause even though I'm a big bad butch, I do not want to hear the crunch of any kind of bug. I can handle dealing with skunk entrails in the yard wow in 103 degree heat but i cannot crunch a bug <laughs> i'm like no bug crunching for me thank you i don't want to do either one of those so i just was like just beyond griefy yeah you know like inside like scooped out like definitely yelling in the car while driving just yelling like not even yelling words just like you know, like that kind of like where you're in the car and it's a sealed environment where nobody can hear you. So you can just scream in the car. Yeah, a hundred percent. It composted at some point. Like this pain composted into something different. I will say that I joined two different writing groups and they were both griefy because I was, I was like, uh -huh. you know, like I just need to be spatulate off the floor every day. Like talking about like just laying in bed and having like those gray thoughts yeah just the depressed gray thoughts so i just want to lay here human beings are terrible everything is awful and yeah compost is a good word for it i needed to go through it and i wrote and i wrote and i did the exercises and at some point i just wrote myself into a okay i'm tired now like i'm tired of doing this i am now saturated so much with my griefy feelings that i am officially tired of them i'm which, bored of myself yeah it was like i'm bored of hearing the insides of my own brain and i didn't need to write in my journal so much anymore instead i wanted to cover other things like start living just begin the practice of my artistry which is to walk and think and notice and look it was during covid that i listened to the rabbi jonathan sachs i've interviewed from on being with krista tippett which is one of my favorite podcasts and he was talking about what can you do right now do what no one else can do but you mm. and i did that i was what can i do and what has always brought me solace is writing and drawing or just drawing colors playing with colors when i play with colors that is my world I remember you doing daily drawings. Still doing it. You are so good at practices. 
-hmm. like this craft night thing. I mean, 21 years, that's remarkable. You're such a refined illustrator and artist and painter. I can see how this is part of your grief process as well as just your well-being in general. I love that drawing and writing was part of your path. And I come back to it, you know, like it rises and it's like the tide, you know, it ebbs and flows. But yes, I would say that in the instance of a partner going away and finding their own way, their path is to really essentially get back to remembering yours. Mm. What can you do that no one else can do? What brings you solace? Mm -hmm. What brings you a sense of being whole? What can you do to soothe your heart? And eventually you come to a place, or at least I came to a place, I can't speak to anyone else, but realizing that, yeah, the relationship that I had with my spouse was one where it was very successful. And I can now, again, really appreciate the smile and the laugh of that person, which still makes me so happy anytime I see it or hear it. Mm. And the gifts that we gave each other are still real and still reverberate in our lives. Oh, that's nice. I don't know that I've even totally gotten to that place. So that's really beautiful that you were able to get there. One thing that I noticed in going through divorce and co-parenting mm. is we never got a break from each other for, gosh, I guess it's like 15 or 16 years, we've never had a break from each other. I mean, to a certain degree, obviously, they're not in my daily life in the way that they were for a long time. But they are in my life in a way where we didn't get that opportunity to kind of step away. We've had certainly moments of appreciating one another, but I think that that's something that people need to have permission to do of like, be mad, be sad, grieve, whatever the things are that you have to feel like, let yourself go deep into that. And for as long as you need to, and just trust that one day you probably will come out of it with some space and be able I mean, unless something truly terrible and like cruel has happened, right? Then like, hopefully you can get to a place. But I also think that one of the things that did help me in you know, you talking about just like a daily practice of writing or drawing. Like I had a thing where it was just like, okay, everything is a shit sandwich <laughs> and it's going to pretty much feel bad most of the time, but it is within my control to do one thing a day that feels good. And for me, that was exercise. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like, man, it's too bad I'm not so sad all the time. <laughs> it sure would be nice to be working out really hard six days a week. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, this is like a moment that I get to myself and that I get to like allow a little bit of like endorphins to float around in my body and give me this little window of like, it's not always going to feel this fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, people are like, time heals all wounds. Sure, time can heal some wounds, but you got to also move it along. Yeah, yeah. you got to process. You have to own that stuff because I've said this, this is going to be my legacy. If you hold in a burp, it's just going to come out as a fart. <laughs> and vice versa. That gas has got to get out. It's coming out. It's not good vibes only, everybody. <laughs> it's got to be... Like, 
Woo, let it out, you know? Let it out privately or let it out publicly, but like get it out. Dance your face off. I don't know. What do you need to do? Ride a roller coaster six times in a row? Do it. Just do the thing that gets it moving. And I was talking to Robin about, you know, in Japan, um, where you have or see your depression or sadness as something that is with you, but you almost treat it as if it's like a bag. Ah, And yeah. you're like, all right, depression, I'm throwing you on my back and we're going to go take out the trash together. And it's not that it's not there. Another thing, find people who can understand a one star day. Yeah. And aren't like, don't you want to get it to four stars? And you're like, no. <laughs> like today is a one star day and I'm staying in my one star day and just tra la. Yeah, that's a great point. We're also sort of trained to be good. How are you today? I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to like buck up and show up. And it is really important to have your people that you can be really honest with about like, no, it's all a shit sandwich. And I like deeply resonate with that feeling of it being really isolating when you're going through depression. I experienced that too when my stepdad died. I was pretty young. And so I had no no one I knew had gone through that yet. And divorce was similar in like, oh, I'm kind of the first that's doing this thing and people don't get it. And it is kind of a bummer to talk about it because people don't really understand what it's like. And so you do sort of go through it on your own. And I think the other thing for me was just how destabilizing it was. Like, I think I did buy into these ideas of like monogamous, committed relationships, are a thing that I need in order to have a strong foundation Mm -hmm. that I can do everything else off of, right? Like I have this thing, this thing is locked down. And so then without that thing, eventually there were things about that that were very freeing. But at first it was feelings of isolation and just not knowing where my footing was. Like this thing that I thought could hold me up, the foundation of it wasn't as strong as I had thought it was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, feelings of shame, all that that you mentioned. Yeah, it's rough. It's hard. Yeah. Hard to get through. Where are you at now? Where am I at now? Yeah, where are you at? Emotionally. Emotionally. Hmm. I'm sure you're still going through all kinds of grief. I just lost another friend. Yeah. She passed away in May and real hard to lose her. Yeah. Really incredible person. It's a realization that to be on earth is to miss people. Mm-hmm. Things will change. And that's the, you know, if you live in California and have earthquakes, you know all about that, which is that the ground is not stable. It's a, actually a moving thing. Living on the backs of nine turtles that get irritated with each other once in a while and they move around and so does the earth. So everything is in flux. Everything's changing all the time, which is simultaneously terrifying and freeing. Right. So you're holding that duality, it sounds like. That's where you're at now. I am learning, still always, always learning how to do the things only I can do. Like Oliver Sacks said, 
but also find the commonality of people that want to do the things that you don't like to do. Yes. And then also just like people that want to help because I want to help everybody. Yeah. What do you want to do? Are you trying to get outside more? Let's go look at leaves. (laughs) We can go on a leaf walk. You know, like just possibility. I think I suppose that coming out of depression or coming out of a dark place is that you begin to see possibility. Right. Whereas at first there's scarcity or just so much has been taken away. You're like, oh, well, when stuff is taken away, there is space for something else. Right. We don't know what that is. And maybe we won't even like it, (laughs) but maybe we'll grow to like it. For instance, some nights people are like, oh, I'm sorry. I haven't been to craft night in a whole year. I'm like, girl, (laughs) if I wasn't running it, I wouldn't be here. There are some days when I'm like, I hate everybody. I don't want to do this. I walk into craft night. Somebody's sad. There is a part of me that is an inner cheerleader that's just like, hey, are you having a shitty day? Here's a shot of Tito's. <laughs> that is part of my job as a craft captain. It's part of my job as a reverend. It's part of my job as a bartender. It is part of investing in community, which means embracing those one star days mm-hmm. and saying, I'm here for your one star. I'm here for your five star. Do you want to make your five star a six star or do you want to sit here and have a one star? But that's what that is. You know, it's like I come in and I'm like, I'm here for a stupid day. Rah. And then somebody's <laughs> there and they're like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, then fuck them. Here's some glitter. Draw a thing. Make a mess. Do a life. Have a moment. Create something that's yours. You know, this is this belongs to you. This is your gay bar. Act accordingly. You know, use it. Come in. We've been waiting for you. That sort of thing. I feel like pep talked. They figured that out about craft night, which is like, I hate everybody. By the end of the night, I'm like, I love all of you so much. That's community. Yeah. We're going to get through it. It's terrible. Let's do it together. It's life together. Yeah. And then maybe it'll become something else. That's a movement. Aside from Wednesdays at Akbar for craft night, where can people have community with you? I'm a bartender. I work at Akbar, which is my family, my queer family. It's a neighborhood bar. No, we don't have a drink menu. I'm there on Tuesday happy hours from four to nine. And I'm at craft night every Wednesday from nine to midnight or a little later if we're feeling it. And I will say that sometimes when I'm not there, there is always somebody there. We've had different people come in because I want you to have a space to just come in. I had somebody tell me that their father passed away and they would come into craft night, drink, do a craft, not talk, feel like they were held together by scotch tape and then go home. But that little bitty bit helped them hold on. And that's what it's for. Yeah. It's also for people who are shy, who don't feel comfortable talking to other people because those of us that are gregarious and extroverted will be like, what are you doing? (laughs) Are you sprinkling sand on something? You're cute. <laughs> like that. Um, it's cleverly tricking the people of Los Angeles into making and doing art. Yeah. If you want to do something creative, I will end up enthusing you into doing something creative or encourage you to bring your own project to Craft Night. Because I wanted to say that I have supplies for you that are never any project above a fourth grade level. However, if you're working on a scarf or if you have a mood board or if you're writing a letter to your auntie, Bring it, (laughs) like bring it and sit and do it. It's like a salon. It's like a place to be creative. That's great. And you also have Sparkle Blob. It's my art collective. It's a nonprofit. There will be a holiday show in December at the Broadwater Theater. And I also work at the Broadwater. (laughs) So if you want to drink from me or if you want to see my show, you can visit sparkleblob.com or sparkleblob.org. Oh, and also you have Gothtober. Yep, that's going to come up. Looking for people who want to make and do art. Where could people find your artwork? 
julianaparr.com will lead you down all the pathways. It will lead you toward puppets. It will lead you toward paintings. <laughs> it will lead you toward print work. It will lead you toward knowing where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do. It's a good time. Thank you so much for joining us for this very intimate conversation about all the hard feels and all the good feels with the weddings and everything. I feel very privileged to be here. Thank you. Good. I'm glad. Hey, if you're divorced, you're not alone. And if you're in a thing, you're also not alone. Yeah. And if you have bugs trapped up under a jar, (laughs) you are not alone. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. It gets dark sometimes. It can get dark, but we're here to help. Well, we love you. And I love you too. Sarah, what do you take away from that conversation? There was a lot we covered there. Yeah, you know what was interesting is just like the energy in the room through the conversation, like so much lightness at the beginning and just the way that JP can kind of hold space and talk about how significant it is for people to share their intimacy with their loved ones. Mm -hmm. And I felt so light. And then it was like we went through the dark journey into the other side of how heavy it can be when a relationship that you thought was going to be with you through your whole life comes to an end. And with them sharing about their depression just so honestly and with such transparency it's really meaningful but I really felt it like I feel a little heavy yeah after having that conversation I agree I feel heavy but that kind of open-hearted heavy that you kind of get after therapy sometimes it's a lot and the experience that JP's gone through with so many deaths one right after another I mean the amount of deaths that they were talking about I believe it was in about a two-year time space that they lost so many important people in their life. And then to have the divorce, that description, I mean, I see metaphor in almost everything is part of why I get depressed. But that visceral image of the cockroach under the glass and then getting eaten and just having someone come in there and take it away, because that's what depression and grief will really do is you'll just be sitting there contemplating something like that, immobilized in this way where you now have a collection of bugs in a jar and you're like, how did I get to this point? And I feel that so hard. And it's always with this conversation, I felt like kept on coming back to community. We get married in these community events and then we really need to draw upon help from our community in those times when we can't take care of things because we're so deep in grief or depression or whatever it is. And we do a lot of celebrating in community, but when it comes to going through the hard stuff, and I think especially now with social media, you don't give as much visibility to that stuff. So then people don't realize that everybody goes, like that person who came into craft night and is like having shame and kind of has their head hang low around like, well, now I'm divorced. Yeah. Is JP even going to want to see me? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's an interesting thing. And I don't know what the ritual is that gets us to a different place, like where we can also ritualize those changes that are the difficult changes in life. We don't have funerals are that. 
Yeah. We do have that. There are starting to be divorce parties. Yeah, there are. I feel like there's like more like conscious uncoupling. Like I see people like jointly posting things on social media or like that there'll be trips that women take together after separating from like deadbeat husbands or something. Yeah. Um, Feels like there needs to be something that can hold the complexity. Yeah, for sure. Because even like a divorce party, it's like a lot of people aren't going to be happy that they got the papers signed or whatever. It would be good to have some kind of ritual because divorce is a fairly new thing for us culturally. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we would do it in community and not just hanging our heads in shame is a new idea. Yeah. I guess it's time for us to come up with a new ritual for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember the day of signing my divorce paperwork and having it be that finality I definitely would did that alone yeah it didn't necessarily feel right it was a hard it was a really hard day yeah and I did actually get to talk to somebody that night like I went to an event that Andrea was DJing and talked to one of her friends that night who was divorced Mm-hmm. And that was unexpected. I hadn't met her before. And it was like, a, it was exactly the right thing to do to be able to talk to somebody who's on the other end of it. Also a parent. Yeah. Find your people, y'all, when you're going through that kind of stuff. Like have someone on call to be there with you. It's really hard stuff. Ask for help. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Everybody seems to want to help. <sighs> you know, let them help. Yeah, I have a hard time with that. Uh, it's not so hard. It's the worst. I have a did you know? Ooh, my favorite. Go ahead. Okay. So I don't know that Jamie even said it was their favorite article of clothing, right. but it was just the article of clothing that they decided to share about was their period underwear. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, so I did a little research for you. Can I take you through the history of underwear? Please. When do you think women started wearing underwear for the first time? Underwear? Underwear. I think that's a hard word to define. Ah, Like I've seen that they had underskirts. They would wear semi bloomers that but they would be basically crotchless or like pants used to be just the reason that it's in plural is because you had one for each leg and then you would tie it in the Uh middle. Very well. You know a lot. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's all. That's about the extent of it. But I think so. I don't know if that's considered underwear. If that is considered underwear, I would say that started in 1450s. I don't know. (laughs) Somewhere around there. But modern underwear. I feel like I would date panties at like, oof. Well, I know they were wearing them in the 30s when they were doing all that swing dancing. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. But I got to start before then. They didn't invent panties for swing dancing, did they? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Yes. What? Yeah. So basically in the 20s uh-huh. is the first introduction of proper lingerie because uh. dresses were short. Uh. But... So this is aside from like 5000 BC, everyone had loincloths because you needed some sort of protective fabric, especially in cold climates. But the first time that women start wearing any sort of fabric over their genitals is trousers in the early 1800s. 
before that, all of women's undergarments were like corsets okay. and a whole bunch of stuff that was really, really tight and shaping bodies. Mm. But because there were so many petticoats and skirts and all of those things, you couldn't have anything covering your junk because you had to be able to go to the bathroom. Right. You don't need like a bunch of people untying all of your restrictive things every time you need to pee. Yes. So there were tons of restrictive undergarments, but not specifically anything covering the vulva. Basically, you're going commando until the early 1800s. Can I just say I fucking hate underwear. Okay, I wear it because I'm on my period. Or because I'm trying to be sexy. (laughs) I'm just glad to hear that it is a recent, in the last hundred years, people have started doing this. So I don't feel like, I mean, I'm treated sometimes like a caveman for not wearing (laughs) underwear. But I'm just like, hey, it keeps me fresh. When I wear underwear, it gets fun. Okay. And I know there's like the material of the underwear makes a big difference. Like I've tried all that. I just don't like it. Oh, okay. I need the air. I think I'm too much of a rule follower. I definitely wear underwear a fair amount. I mean, I guess less now that I work from home a whole bunch. Uh, but so in the 1950s oh, yeah. is when the bikini, like bikini style underwear was developed. So the bikini was named after an island in the Pacific Ocean and it came with a flexible elastic waistband and cotton fabrics. So this is the first time that there is the development of like a daily comfortable undergarment that women can wear men are basically wearing underwear from since they started wearing pants in the western world yeah yeah and then of course we have the 1980s to thank for the thong ah right of course (laughs) and they first gained popularity thongs in south america oh brazil and it was like it became really popular because of like 80s aerobics culture oh yeah yep yep and so then you started seeing like g-strings and like the leotards can you imagine the yeast infections that were happening in the 80s because not only is it thongs it's also synthetic materials yeah they're basically wearing plastic they would put on pantyhose and then a thong over that and then go work out gross yeah there is a great horrible movie that shows this in great detail that stars john travolta and jamie lee curtis called perfect (gasps) I've seen a clip from this. Isn't Jamie Lee Curtis like doing some sort of hip thrusting aerobic style dance and it's very sexual? I highly recommend everybody watching this. Maybe I'll make a TikTok out of this. It's so ridiculously over the top and it is so spandex and so thong. All of the things you're talking about. The underwear became the outerwear in the 80s. Well, and really in the 50s with the bikini and everything. That's so interesting to me that it is so recent and so ubiquitous. Right. I have to be careful who I tell that I do not wear underwear and I'm like bitch this just came up okay it has been here for only 100 years now you have a good argument to make with everybody don't shame me this is a recent invention okay (laughs) (laughs) but I am obsessed with the 20s and this just is like another thing where I'm like shit really changed in the 20s and we don't give enough credit to how much shit changed underwear was invented all right yeah 
Anyway, I do feel lighter now. Thank you. We have to do something to bring the mood back up. JP, thank you for sharing with us about your uh, period underwear. Mm -hmm. Definitely put on perfect at craft night. The next time you pick a movie to put on. Everyone go to craft night. Find JP at julianaparr.com or sparkleblob.org. And please find us. At Fuck Yeah Pod on TikTok and Instagram. Email us. Send us some questions. FYAPod at gmail.com. Fuck yeah. Bye. Fuck Yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Sarah Tom Chesson, hashtag my mom, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is by she, her, sir. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, or share with a friend. You can get in touch by emailing us at fyapod at gmail.com or find us online at fuckyapod.com. Thanks for tuning in.